Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the A Better HR Business podcast. My name is Ben, and I'm delighted to be joined by Derek Howard today. Derek, thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure, Ben. Great to have you here. Derek is the CEO of The Customer, which helps companies to grow their business and develop their people. Derek, we're also going to be covering another very interesting project that you've got on the go, which is Disrupt HR. But perhaps we could start by looking at you and what you do with your business. So could you perhaps give us your a bit of your background and what you do with your business? So who do you help and how do you help them? Okay. Well, as you said, Ben, uh, the customer is all about two things, helping companies grow business and develop their people. I suppose in terms of the growing business piece in particular, it's really with the focus being on the customer. And that probably sounds quite obvious, um, but something I suppose over the years in working pe- with people to, to win business and to grow business, one of the things I've always tried to do, I suppose, in that role of coaching and training and supporting people around that is to think about things very much from the customer's perspective. Put myself in their customer's shoes and try to think about what would make a difference for me. Sure. In terms of growing business, one of the things we always focus on is thinking about the sales process and the sales cycle from the customer's perspective. I suppose, you know, businesses typically aren't run by one individual. So certainly a lot of leaders and sales directors and CEOs that I talk to come to me and say, how can I get my team more engaged around our business? How can I get our team more focused and more high performing and conduct consistent performance across our organization? And that brings me on to the people bit in terms of, I suppose, making sure that that team is as high performing as possible and that everybody is delivering and and achieving the goal of the business. It's a pretty big task. It is. It is. It certainly is. And I suppose high performing teams are pretty rare. Um, So I suppose that's that's evidence that it's not easy to make it happen and not easy to have that consistent performance. Um, But certainly in terms of talking to clients of companies, one of the things I do is I go out sometimes and I meet uh, my clients' customers and get feedback on their behalf. Um, and certainly from, from a client point of view, one of the things that they're looking for is a consistent high level of performance from their suppliers, uh, from, their, from their providers of services on a consistent basis. So that, that phrase, you're only as good as your weakest player, certainly comes out there. So it's really trying to make sure that clients are getting a consistent high level of performance from everybody that they're dealing with across an organization. Yeah, I, I would recommend that to anyone listening, always try to get some sort of access to the voice of the customer. I actually do that quite a lot for clients where I speak to clients. This is a, this is in the HR industry specifically, but the things you learn, it's amazing. You think that oh, we've got particular strengths in an industry or we're doing this well, or they're aware of all the services we offer. And in fact, half the time they don't. So that sounds really good. I'm imagining that people don't just call you up and say, we'd love a really high performing team. Are there certain problems or points that drive them to contact you? Yeah, typically it's it's around either a specific, you know, personal development point or it's around the sort of sales and the growing business piece. I suppose if I take the sales piece first, um, I suppose the areas I help people in, it's, it's training on the one hand, where it's in a group environment, uh, and it's individual one-on-one coaching and providing advice to, to businesses around that. Um, and I suppose from a sales point of view, it's very much bringing them through that sort of sales journey uh, right through from making sure we've got a really clear strategy as to where the business is today and where it's going to grow to, what sort of ambition, what does, what does the business in two, three, four years' time look like, 
what's it going to take to get there, what are the types of companies and clients they're going to work with and win business from to get there. So understanding that there's a clear sales strategy and that everybody's focused on that. And then from there, it's really working through in terms of taking it from a relationship perspective in the first hand. So building that client relationship, building that relationship with that new client that we want to work with, a new customer. Then having built the relationship and generated the trust, the second level is then generating the opportunities and constantly having an opportunity pipeline that we're, that we're working on. From there, typically we see lots of scenarios where clients then have, have worked because they tender. So opportunities sometimes convert, but sometimes they've got to go through a tender process. So working with people through proposals and pitching. Fourth area, which was always very important, is that whole negotiation, the pricing, the fee negotiation. And then finally, the delivery of the service um, or the product, making sure that that customer experience at the far end of the process is as strong as possible. And it's interesting, you know, while you might think we'd start typically with a company and talk about the kind of relationship building and the getting out into the marketplace and the targeting piece, typically what we find is we start actually at the end of the process. So I'm going to start with the end in mind. So we typically say to a company, is if you're looking to try and grow significantly and you've real ambition about that growth, the first thing that's really most important is making sure you're building from a position of strength. So let's look at your current sales, your current client base, your current market and seeing is that as strong as you'd like it to be. So back to the point we talked about around customer feedback, have we really got good insights from your clients and your customers around what they value, what they like, how loyal they are? Um, can we go out and clarify some of that and then we build from that position of strength? And obviously the other thing that, that's very obvious too is that um, in many cases the opportunities to grow and develop business is more from existing clients than it might be from new clients. So while it might be more... Uh, interesting to go off and look at new targets. Actually, it's, a, it's about not forgetting about the existing clients as well. So having done that, then we, we progress through the sales cycle from there. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I know that my focus is all on marketing and then some corresponding sales support to that. But people should always be very clear that the easiest way to grow the business is with their existing client base. And there's always more opportunity to support them and help them. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, so the process that you described, all those various stages or elements, are they the typical sales cycle or is that something different? Uh, it is the typical sales cycle, I suppose. Yep. Every, every business can be a little bit different, Ben, but typically you're, you're trying to build that relationship, build that trust over time with clients, uh, and then having done that, opportunities to work with them will emerge over time in many cases, and then you're looking to try and progress those opportunities and convert them into sales um, either directly or through some competitive process. Yeah. So can I put you on the spot and perhaps try to get a, a practical tip that people can take away for each of those steps that would help them improve their business? Sure. Absolutely. Um, I think at the outset that the first piece for me um, is around that, that relationship piece. And I think that's the most important piece for me. Uh, I work with a lot of companies who, who, have, who have people will say that come to a certain level of seniority, they might make a manager type grade, and suddenly they go from somebody who delivers business or delivers service to somebody who now is tasked with business development or winning business for the first time. Um, and that can be quite pretty daunting. Um, and in many cases, what I'm finding is they're going out there to meet these new clients and new targets, putting themselves under the pressure, uh, either directly themselves or from talking to their, to their seniors, uh, around coming back with leads and opportunities and almost coming back with wins from the first meeting. But actually, there's a really interesting piece of research I came across uh, from a company called the PM Forum, the Professional Marketing Forum. A piece of research they did with people who provide services and people who, uh, who buy services. 
uh, about seven, eight, nine years ago, and, and the statistics have never really left me, and I've quoted them quite a number of times since then. Oh, yeah. Interesting. 81% of buyers of services said they wouldn't consider buying from somebody until they had at least six to eight interactions with them. Really? Six to eight emails, phone calls, conversations. Um, and I suppose if you think about it in your, in your kind of personal life, if you were getting a major piece of work done in your house or you were going to invest in a new car, you probably would have six or seven conversations before you finally made a decision to go ahead and, and to write the check or commit to that spend. Mm-hmm. But you, the same survey, 73% of people who provide services said they tend to give up after two or three conversations. Oh, right. That point at which we're just walking away going, well, there's nothing seeming to bite there. That client doesn't seem particularly interested. I'm going to move on to somebody else. Uh, that's the point at which the client is just beginning to say, that guy, Ben, is a nice guy. I think we can really start working with him. Like, I'm feeling that, that I'm building a good relationship there. Um, so the first recommendation from my point of view is actually to take your time. If it's six to eight meetings typically to get a sale, focus on getting the next meeting. Don't focus on looking for a lead. I love that. Focus on getting the next meeting. I'm laughing in my, because uh, I had a, that experience years ago doing HR consulting and finally the agreement was signed a year after starting the, the discussions. So uh, hold out hope for that one. Absolutely. And I think what that does is as well, if you think about it, if I say to you, Ben, you're going to send you out to a new person you haven't met before and your only objective is to get a second meeting, you're really going to focus on trying to make that meeting as good as possible from the client's perspective their perspective, so you're going to focus on their agenda. So my two golden rules on every bit of training I do and every conversation I have with people around growing business, two golden rules. Number one, it's all about the customer, it's not about you. And secondly, it's about asking rather than telling. Think about it typically in the HR world or the consultancy world. You're typically paid for your expertise, your advice, your insights. So you're the one driving the conversation. You're the one leading the agenda. You're the one delivering the insights. You're the one giving the report. However, when you go into a kind of a business development or a relationship building or a networking kind of world, you're meeting people who don't have a particular issue at this point in time that you know about. There is no burning issue. There is no report. There is no deadline. There is no project. So you have to suddenly go from somebody who's used to leading and driving meetings to suddenly somebody who's asking lots of questions, getting curious, getting interested, trying to understand what makes this company or this individual different and what's important to them. So it's actually... It's actually changing the the, uh, the mindset very, very, very much so. And I think once people crack that, they typically find that that makes the job an awful lot easier. And suddenly they're to be curious and interested and you're taking it from there. So that to me is the sort of first stage and the kind of key stage. Okay. Obviously, once you have a relationship over time and you're getting lots of relationships with lots of targets and lots of clients, the, the key bit for me about the opportunity stage and making sure you've got a healthy pipeline of opportunities is first of all to make sure you've, you've captured a pipeline. So you're actually tracking your pipeline and that it's something you, man, you manage and look at on a regular basis. For me, I think at least once a week, I need to look at my pipeline and see what's in the pipeline, what are the next actions, what are the things I need to come back to. So it's something that gets attention and focus. Can I be boring and just clarify for you what's a pipeline or what's involved in capturing that? Because I actually know quite a lot of businesses that are just rolling along and not actually capturing any of those leads. So can you just clarify for listeners what you mean? Okay. So basically, any, anything that's a, any, so I go out and meet you, Ben, we have a conversation, uh, something comes out of that in terms of a particular issue or opportunity that might in some case in the future turn, to, turn into a piece of work. I need to be tracking that on a, on a pipeline. Um, now, the early stages of our conversation, uh, I might have very little information because at this point in time, we're not even clear exactly on 
what help you might need or what that need might be or what that might look like in terms of how I can support you. But effectively, it's tracking opportunities that might in due course turn into actual pieces of work. So at any point in time, you should be able to say, here's my pipeline. And what we typically find, a lot of organizations use a CRM system and they can track these kind of things very easily. Um, in some cases, on smaller, simpler businesses, they track them on spreadsheets as individuals or, or collectively on sort of shared spreadsheets. Um, but really, it's a, a, at, one point, at one glance, all the leads and opportunities you're working on at a given point in time are there. It tells us things like what the nature of the issue might be, what the service is, likely revenues, maybe the, the probability of success at this stage in the conversation. And ultimately, that allows you to have a kind of a weighted revenue. So if I, if I have an opportunity to work on a project for you that might generate 10,000 euros, but at this stage, my probability of success is 20% because we're at a very early stage in the discussion. So the idea of it being a converted opportunity is quite a long way off. 20% of 10,000 is 2,000 euros. So my weighted pipeline, if that was all that was in it, would be 2,000 euros. I suppose what that allows people to do uh, in terms of hitting their sales targets and planning and seeing that they're on track is it allows them at any point in the year to say, we're six months into the year, so say now we're seven months into the year. How am I trending in terms of the year so far? Well, I've got the revenue I've earned for the last seven months, and that's done. And then I look at my weighted pipeline and I add in that, and that tells me what my likely outturn for the year is. And if the, if the outturn for the year I, I have based on my weighted pipeline and my actual revenue is above my target, then it's, it's great. I'm on track. I'm looking likely to hit the target. If it's not strong enough and the waiting pipeline isn't enough, then we know we need to be getting more leads and more opportunities. So it's a way of sort of saying at any point in time, am I on track to hit the numbers I'm hoping to hit? And if I'm not, I need to be getting more people into that funnel, getting more people into the, in, in terms of networking and relationship building and catch up cups of coffee to generate more opportunities to put into my pipeline. Yeah, I really like that. So, and I think the, the other thing I would say around the pipeline piece for me, I, I find a lot of organizations, particularly companies who, they, you know, and individuals who have responsibilities for winning business, and then once the business is won, they have the responsibility for delivering the business that they've won. And that's actually a real challenge. And whether it's people in the legal profession or consultants or recruiters or accountants or tax people, uh, architects, there's so many people in those kind of roles where they say, Derek, it's so difficult to juggle. And, and in many ways, if, if you compare it to a kind of a manufacturing or a factory organization, imagine the scenario where the production department and the sales department are the same people. And do <laughs> the same. You know, it, it is a real challenge. So for me, one of the big things is the prioritization around it. We tend to focus on the production bit, delivering the business. And then when we get quiet there, we go off and look for business development opportunities. My challenge to people who are ambitious about growing their business is always on from a business development perspective. Business development should be number one on your agenda every week. Yeah. I see so many teams where all the delivery deadlines and projects and things that we're working on at the moment are, are the meeting agenda. And the last item of the agenda is new business or you know, targets. And invariably, we'll never get to that. I challenge people to flip that and put the targeting stuff up first. Typically, if you're successful in delivering projects for companies, you will make those deadlines. You'll deliver the work you've already won. Put the, put the business development piece up. It's very unusual to come across a, a leader of a team where you say, how is the team? And they say to me, Derek, my team is perfect. I've got all the right people in the right jobs and all the right roles, and the team just could not be better. There's always elements that need to be fixed and developed, and there's always gaps and things we'd like to improve. But even if it was perfect, I would always say to them, Okay, so what's your, what, what is your plan if any one of these individuals that are, that are core to your business were to leave tomorrow? 
do you have a, a plan B? Is it an internal person? If that's the case, who'd cover for them? If it's not an internal person, who are the top three people in the marketplace you'd like to go after? And are you actually... Net so networking doesn't just include networking with people who might generate business for you, uh, potentially as well. It's looking for people who might become employees in the future. So it's thinking about networking and relationship building in a broader sense. Absolutely. Okay, so where do we get to in the sales cycle? We've had our six or seven meetings. We've generated our opportunity, and hopefully we're helping them to convert that opportunity from a client point of view into, a, into an actual project. The, the next piece that, that often can come up is around pitching for business, right. where the client says, look, this is great, Ben, but I think we're going to have to put the work out to tender, either because that's what we always do or because we have a process that we typically run around this. Um, for me... That, that pitching piece is something I've done a lot of work with over the years in terms of helping teams pitch for business. Um, and what is often a document piece, the, the bit that I think is the most important is that presentation pitch. When you get in front of that decision-making panel and a chance to present your case, um, it's interesting. One of the things that I found most interesting was to get to sit on that panel for a number of companies. So companies uh -huh. will be in St. Jack, we're running a, a tender process for a particular service or a particular project, and we'd like somebody independently to come in and sit on our panel and help us navigate that process. But actually sitting on the panel from that side, it really helps to be into Again, it's really putting yourself in, your, in the customer's shoes and seeing what it's like when the supplier after supplier comes into the room. And, and what's, what can be very interesting is the, the real difference that happens when a supplier comes into the room and talks about things from the client's point of view rather than from their own. What you often typically get is, is the supplier will come in and talk about I were the right choice for you and this is our business and we were founded in this year with this many people and we, 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 that's all about us. We're actually, it's so much more refreshing when the, when, the, when the company comes in and they say, actually, we've been thinking about this problem a bit from your perspective and we've been putting ourselves in your shoes and we've been picking up on the things that have come up in the conversations you've had with you and, and effectively then really coming at it from the customer's perspective. And the challenge people to do is if, if you were to say to me, uh, ben, that you went out to meet a prospective client tomorrow and you were pitching to them and there was a panel of, of four people in front of you, I'd be saying, ideally, you should have met each of those four people in advance of going into that pitch presentation. It isn't always possible. Sometimes you might be able to get a phone conversation. You can have had that conversation with the individuals. It's so much more powerful to be able to go into that group of people and say, it's been great to get to know you and understand your business, to learn about the particular things that are important to each of you individually. Here's what I've heard during the process. Here's how I'm going to respond to that based on what you've told me. So you're kind of tailoring your proposition, tailoring your approach very much towards the client. I love that. And even outside of the, the tendering process, when you are pitching for work or for services or for your technology, whatever it may be, it's not just about why us and what is good about what we are offering, but I suppose it's useful to think about what could go wrong if they'd use you and your service. Because in the old days, they used to say no one ever got fired for buying IBM, right? So there okay. were safe options. But then I love the fact that you're saying get into their shoes and think about what their concerns are and tailor your pitch towards them so that you can address any potential concerns or objections that they might have more successful that way, I imagine. Absolutely. I think one of the questions I love to ask anybody who's going to be involved in a particular project, whether it's competitive or not, is to say, you know, what would a successful outcome for this project look like from your perspective? And, and how do you want to be involved in that? And what would success look like for you as an individual in this project? Well, that's a great question. Sometimes it's just a case of people just wanting to be more involved or kept more in the loop or, or not kept in the loop and, and, let, and let do their own job. Um, but sometimes it's, it's those, those open questions um, and those, those personal questions that can be really helpful. Very true. I find sometimes when you come back and meet the group as a group, having talked to them all individually, 
in many cases, there's a presumption there that the guys have all been talking to one another. But in many cases, they haven't. So actually, it's, it's always great to come back in and say, I've met the four of you individually over the last number of weeks. Here's what I've heard. Here's what you've told me. Here's the consistency around the points you've raised. Here's some of the things you actually differed in terms of views on. And let's have a chat about some of those to make sure that we cover off all the bases and, and, and get solutions that everybody's happy with. Yeah. Uh, certainly, that's, that's a powerful one for me. Definitely, definitely. So moving on from there, I suppose, then the next stage then for me is around the pricing and the negotiation piece. Um, sometimes that's done as part of the kind of proposal process. Sometimes there isn't a proposal process and it's done as, as the opportunity gets close to conversion. I think for me, when it comes, particularly for people who, you know, provide services to clients, one of the biggest things I come across, and I suppose pricing and negotiation is probably one of the most popular areas I do training around. Um, and one of the biggest, I suppose, things that tend to come up is people talking about effectively discounting with themselves. So what do I mean by that? I suppose it's, it's where somebody comes to me and says, Derek, we've, we've been approached by a client. Uh, they've asked us to do a particular piece of work. We've priced it and it's going to probably cost us about 10,000 to do it or 10,000, but we're thinking of quoting them six. So I say, okay, so straight away you've, you've, you know, you've negotiated or discounted 4,000 euros. So before you, you go even to have a conversation with the client, the, the price has come down from 10 to six. So actually believing in the value of what you do pricing it appropriately and going and looking for that in terms of, of what, you, what you expect to get is probably a key one for me. I think the second thing from a pricing point of view for me is really important is actually getting the scope of the project right. Yep. So not just putting the kitchen sink into, into the project, really understanding what's important from the client point of view, getting the scope right and giving them the options on the way and saying actually in certain, some of these stages of things we can take on or some things we can leave you to do, let's talk about the implications of some of those, the timeframes, the cost implications. And effectively, you come up with a more tailored solution that the client then gets really what they want. And then the final stage of the process is the delivery of the service. And that you know, sounds obvious, but I think having done all the hard work to win the business, I think it's really important then that the business is delivered to the standard that it should be and that we deliver on our promises. Um, because certainly we might get away with that once or twice, but uh, in time, that will come back to haunt us. And it's back to that first point. If you're delivering strong service, you're building from a position of strength, you're really in a good place in terms of growing your business further. And the only way to understand whether you're delivering service to a, to a high quality of clients is by getting feedback. And I think, you know, there's lots of ways to do it. We talked about that independent feedback earlier on where somebody yep. independent of the group goes out. Yep. So there's also an opportunity just at the end of a piece of work to say to the other organization, look, as part of our wrap-up meeting here, we just love to get your feedback in terms of what went well on the project that we, work with, that, we, that we definitely need to do the next time and repeat the next time we work with you. Is there anything we could have done to make it even better? Is there any feedback you have in terms of the people you dealt with here on the team? That can be a very informal thing, but if you do lots of work for lots of clients, those informal feedback conversations are invaluable in terms of building and improving. And I always think high-performing teams, we talked about them earlier on, they never settle. They always believe they can improve. They always believe they can do better than they've done before. So that constantly improving mindset. And the only way to do that is by constantly looking for feedback and little small things we can do to make things a little bit better the next time. And again, it's something that the whole team needs to buy into, not just the leader of the team. That's what we need for me. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And you made me laugh there talking about the, the scope and making sure that's ironclad. Where I'm from in the west of Australia, very industrial and there's lots of construction work during project times and things like that. And those contracts are ironclad watertight to the point where if you order an extra sandwich, you'll be billed in some way by the contractor. Some might find that challenging. I'm just <laughs> completely used to that approach. So I'm going to ask you again at the end because we're going to move on to talk about the disrupt HR side of things. But if people want to learn more about you and what you do with the customer, how do they learn more? What should they do? I think that probably the best way is to um, to get in touch. I think if you want to check out my website, it's www.thecustomer.ie uh, and it's it's got all the information there to get in touch in terms of contacting us, um, whether it's about training, whether it's about coaching, whether it's about consulting, uh, or particularly if you've an interest in growing your business or developing your people. Love to hear you, love to talk to you. Um, let's understand what you're seeing in terms of what works in those particular areas. Yeah, very good. All right, well, so let's turn now to purely the HR world. And we originally met via the Disrupt HR conference, unconference. Uh, I don't know what the right word is, but can you tell us what is Disrupt HR and who is it for? I also describe Disrupt HR then as being a bit like the TED for the HR sector. Right. So we're all aware that the sort of TED Talk concepts. And like TED Talks, I suppose, Disrupt HR is now a global concept. So Disrupt HR originated in Cincinnati, Ohio, and is now in 31 countries around the world, 137 cities. And really what it is, it's, I suppose the hint is in the title, it's disrupting the HR world. So what do I mean by that? It's about bringing new ideas, challenging the way we do things at the moment, finding better ways and more insightful ways of doing things, and challenging the status quo around, around what we do today. Everything to do with leadership, culture, talent development, learning and development, HR. So it's a, it's a broad concept in that sense. What I love about Disrupt HR, and I suppose part of the, the presenter in me and the person who coaches people who present and who pitch, one of the things I love about Disrupt HR, and it's a real challenge, is that every Disrupt HR talk is just five minutes long. So imagine you've got to make a, a, a powerful presentation around a particular idea in a disruptive way in just five minutes. And then on top of that challenge, you have 20 slides, they rotate automatically every, <laughs> every 15 seconds. So, as one person said to me, it's a bit like, you know, not having that clicker in your, clicker in your hand and being able to click it, at, at, you know, at your moment of choosing. It's a bit like being in the driving seat of the car and having no steering wheel. <laughs> I'm not um, sure I could cope with that. I don't think I could either. <laughs> but actually, it's interesting, one of our speakers from last year has told me when I, when I met her since then that actually... The concept resonated so much with her and her team that they now use it in terms of their updates at their weekly meetings. They now have a deadline. They don't use the rotating slides, but they literally stop the clock. So when they go around to different parts of the organization and say, let's hear an update from HR, let's hear an update from finance, you have five minutes to present, to, to present your monthly update. Um, and she said that discipline of delivering something in five minutes really makes people focus on what's important. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's, that's what the concept from an Irish point of view, um, <laughs> we're in the third year of Dublin, Dublin's Disrupt HR. Uh, we've 12 speakers. Um, so it's, it's a great format. It's, what I love about it is, if there's a topic that's not of interest to you on the agenda, you don't have to worry because it'll only take five minutes for that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You are interested in. So it's a nice, great, punchy format. And certainly the feedback we've had from people in there is real provocative ideas, really makes them think and, and, and really challenges them to look at things a little bit differently. And invariably, there's three or four really good ideas they'll bring home 
that are really relevant for them and their business. It is. It's it's good fun actually, and and the titles the titles are always quite quirky too. They are. They are interesting. Yeah. Um, and and in terms of the it was the audience and same that very much the HR you know HR leaders HR directors but also we get a lot of CEOs as was anybody who's got an interest in talent and team and people and development uh, really should be at this event in terms of getting the ideas and networking with people who've got similar passion about people and development and certainly you know it's it's a competitive market out there for talent and people and many of the ideas that people will will, will pick up at. Disrupt HR hopefully will help them in driving their organizations forward and, in, and engaging and developing their own people in a better way. Definitely. So how are you getting the word out there about it? Our website, which is www.disrupthr.ie, is live and up to date and has all the details about this year's event. So we're back for the third year, as I said. Uh, for the second year, we're back in Arthur Cox. So we're delighted to be able to hold the event and to work with our colleagues in Arthur Cox. A big law firm for listeners outside of Ireland, yep. Absolutely. Uh, and a great location just off the city centre, just off St. Stephen's Green and Earlsford Terrace. Yeah. Uh, so that's where we're located for this year. And I suppose over the coming weeks, you're going to see lots of activity generated through LinkedIn and Twitter around the event. We'll be starting to disclose some of our speakers uh, starting from next week. But certainly the exciting, the, the lineup is pretty exciting. Uh, we're delighted with some of the people we've got to speak with us this year. Um, and certainly some of the topics, I think, are really going to provoke a lot of thinking and a lot of conversation. So we're really excited about it, and we're, we're hoping to really build on the success of the last two years. And I suppose if people want to get a flavor of what the, the, the concepts, the ideas that have been involved in the subject are, the videos of the presentations on both last year and the year before are actually on our website. Yeah, I think that's a great thing, isn't it? Because you don't get that in many conferences. Absolutely. And it's great for our speakers. They get to, to be able to take away a video and use that themselves in terms of sharing with their own networks. But it's also great to give people an idea of how it all works in practice. Because the concept is that bit different, it's nice to be able to, to share people with people examples of it being done well before um, and, and to see how the format works in practice. But obviously then for those who might miss it, they can go back in and, and have a look again. Or equally, go back in after the event and, and remind themselves of some of the things that they heard in the night. Yeah, I like it. All right, well, I'm really looking forward to it. When is the event? It's on Thursday, the 3rd of October. Uh, and it's an evening event at 6 p.m. Good, okay. But they're also held in many other cities, right? Are they all held at the same time or not necessarily? They're not, no. They're, they're, they very, very much vary. We, oh. we, I've gone on the concept of once a year. Some cities do them more than once a year, but certainly there are Disrupt HR events happening around the world almost every week, Ben. And actually, if you go on to the Disrupt HR global site, you'll be able to pick up in terms of when different ones are on. And again, the videos of the talks around the world, and I think there's over three or 4,000 talks at this stage that have, that have happened. They're all there on the global site and they're all available to people. So if you've got lots of time and lots of curiosity around Disrupt HR, there's plenty of content there to keep people busy. I like it. Do you think there'll be some future of work, AI sort of stuff being covered? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a whole range of topics. And I think it's interesting in talking to people around what are the sort of things that they're looking to hear about. We really do hear a good mix around, around you know, how to so manage in the, in the 21st century, the younger generations, the mix of generations, as you said, the whole future of work, ladder and flexibility, a lot about remote working, technology. So certainly there's a, there's a broad range of topics that are very topical out there. Lots of stuff about coaching coming up, actually, which is interesting as well. Really trying to engage and, and retain people. I suppose there's a huge amount of competition for talent out there. But what we're seeing now is a lot of people saying we really need to focus on keeping those talent, 
that's having to be get, engaged, developed, motivated uh, once we get them. Because we spend a lot of money on the recruitment and the onboarding piece. Let's try and do as much in terms of the engagement and development and the retention piece. Sounds like the first half of our conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Derek, we've covered a lot of ground here and I think it's fantastic. We've got a lot there on the sales cycle and the way you can help businesses. So again, for listeners, your website is? Is www.thecustomer.ie. Okay, that's easy enough to remember. And then on the Disrupt HR, that's disrupthr.ie. And I'm sure there are links or it's easy enough to find the global one if you're outside of Dublin. Absolutely. Um, All right, Derek, thank you very much for your time and your insights. I've really enjoyed our chat tonight. Great talking to you too, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.